friends. You're listening to Crickets to Cha-Chings, a show where we talk about all aspects of running a handmade business and marketing that business for success while still keeping a balance to have flexibility for your family. I'm your host, Lauren Keplinger, and I am so excited to get started. Let's jump right in. And welcome back to another episode of Crickets to Cha-Chings. My name is Lauren. And today on the podcast, we have with us Gabby Abrams, who has an extremely successful Etsy shop. And I am super excited to talk to her about that. Welcome, Gabby. Hi, Lauren. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about your shop and what you sell and how you got started and kind of just your backstory with that? Sure. So I was actually a lawyer before starting my Etsy store, which is actually not as rare of a trajectory as you would think. Um, I find a lot of former lawyers here. So I started my store. I was on maternity leave with my first son in 2015 in New York City. And I just kind of wanted to, I was on unpaid leave. So I wanted to kind of extend my time at home with him. So I had the idea that I was going to start an Etsy store because I had really enjoyed, you know, I had done some stuff for his baby shower and and stuff. And and I just really enjoyed digital design. So I figured I would give it a go. And if I sold, you know, a couple hundred dollars, that would be great. I could make my student loan payment from law school. It would be awesome. So I started my store. And then I think it took me like a month to get my first sale. My designs were not very good back then. (laughs) And so it took me like a month to get my first sale. But then after that, I got a lot of traction. And then I started selling them, you know, little by little, I started selling more. And then uh, by the time that my son was like six months old, it was pretty clear that it could turn into at least a pretty solid, you know, like full time income. So I decided to kind of invest more time in it, do more designs, that kind of stuff. And and I just never went back to work. I've been doing this full time ever since. Wow, that's amazing. So when you first got started, did you make the same things that you make now? Or was it in a different niche? Have you like changed directions at all as you've gone on? through time? Originally, I did invitations just because that was what I really enjoyed doing. I really liked digital design. It was easy, right? Because I had my son at home. So I didn't have to maintain inventory. I didn't have like a lot or any money to invest in this. So digital really was the way to go. And then I talked to my aunt who said, you know, that she would never buy a digital invitation. She would only do printed. And I was like, I bet there are people like that too. So I expanded. I found a printer that I still work with today and applied for a manufacturing license on Etsy and started to offer printing as well. And then and I, at the time, I also did banners and part like paper party stuff. And I quickly realized that that was not what I wanted to do because I had a very small, curious child and he was getting into like all my ribbons and all my papers and tearing stuff and eating stuff. So you were making them. They weren't like digital. Yes. So I decided to stick to digital at some point, you know, a few months into the this endeavor, like maybe three to four months, I decided to just go all in on digital and printed invitations and have that be my niche. And then within that niche, I found that I was selling that my bridal shower, baby shower, birthday invitations were selling the best. So I went all in on those. Okay. So you have like, I have a kind of a similar trajectory with my shop where I started with something and then I expanded to like a bajillion different things. And then I narrowed it way down. (laughs) You have to simplify to multiply. 
Yes, exactly. So how did you get into digital art stuff? Was that something that you had done in the past? Or how did you know how to do that? It's not something that I had done in the past. It's funny because... So I came from a pretty creative household. My dad was a lawyer and then my mom was an administrator at an art school. So and ran the conservatory there. So the music, the dance, it was something that I grew up, you know, being very, very creative. But so my dad was a lawyer and also an artist. And then that was always something that was really appreciated in my house, right? Like art and creativity and everything. And I had like a big, a big, uh, you know, book of all my drawings and stuff. And then my little brother came along and he was actually like an amazing artist, right? Like drawing, painting. And my parents were like, well, I guess, you know, you're not the creative one. <laughs> so that kind of always stayed with me. And I was like, oh, I guess I'm not creative, you know? Yeah. I think a lot of people really refine themselves to creativity just being art. And if you don't paint, you're not creative. Right. So I think it was just a matter of like thinking a little bit outside the box. And it was what I always enjoyed. Like when I was working at a law firm, my boss would always kid around. He would say, you know, um, if you ever need me to write a letter of recommendation for you, I'm going to say that you're amazing at planning people's birthday parties. Because I would always do birthdays at my firm. And and when I, I interned at a I externed at a judge and they told me the same thing. They were like, oh, great. You throw the best. You know, so it was always like what I enjoyed. And it's funny because I think that if I had let myself really be free to do whatever I wanted, I think I would have gravitated more towards something like this initially. Yeah. That's really funny that you say that because I think, and I've had these conversations recently with some other people that are kind of in the same, I don't know how old you are, but I'm in my mid thirties. <laughs> And kind of like in this stage of life where you're like, actually, you know what, these things that I was told as a kid, maybe that's just not really true. And, and maybe there's more than just, you know, this one little box of creativity. I feel the same way. Like, I was always like the book smart one in my family and not the creative one. I have my both of my siblings were like way more artistic than I am and all of these things. And so I never saw myself as a creative person. And even like years into my Etsy shop, when people would say, oh my gosh, you're so creative. I'm like, no, I'm not creative. This is like a fluke. (laughs) That's so funny. Uh, My brother's actually an anesthesiologist now. So the lesson is to tell your kids the opposite of what you want. Yeah, right. (laughs) That's interesting. I would say that uh, there's even less room for creativity in that job. (laughs) I'll be an artist. And he's like, no, thanks. I'll be an anesthesiologist. Yeah. Well, my super artistic brother is a lawyer. So (laughs) funny, right? Yeah. Oh, that is funny. So when you started, your goal was to make some money while you were on maternity leave. And then you didn't end up going back to work. But did you have moments of being like, I don't really know where this is going to go? Or I don't know you know, kind of how to move this forward or what the next steps are? Oh, absolutely. I struggled so much with that because, you know, I had gone to law school and I was a practicing attorney. So it really came to this point where it was really sink or swim, right? And even though I was making a full-time income, it's like compared to what I could be making in law, is this worth it? That kind of thing, you know? So yes, I definitely struggled with that. And then um, I think also, it wasn't until I realized like how challenging intellectually it was to run a business and how much went into it that I really 
became more peaceful about my decision, right? Because at first, it's probably same as you, right? Where you've grown up and you're book smart and whatever. And then now you are designing invitations or monitoring baby gifts. <laughs> exactly. And you're a little bit like, oh, this wasn't what people always told me my trajectory was going to be, right? So there's a little bit of conflict there of internal conflict. So I definitely felt that I ended up hiring a business coach. And that was amazing. That was so helpful for me. And she really helped me like untangle this thought knot that I had, and really um, make peace with where I was and what I really enjoyed doing at the end of the day. Yeah, I think that that's such a good point. Because that mental roadblock of getting past is really I think it's really hard, even if you are kind of depending on which side you're coming from. But either way, I think it's a struggle. Like I was actually a stay at home mom when I started my Etsy shop. And then I had this internal conflict of like, am I really still a stay at home mom because I have all this work that's piling up? And also, if I'm going to go back to work, is it going to be to monogram baby gifts? Or am I going to be able to do or choose to do something that is like using my degree and all this stuff? And there is this mental block to get past to say like, this actually is working really well for my life right now. And, you know, who can really make that designation of like, I could be doing something different or better or bigger or whatever. <laughs> right. It's so true. And my sister-in-law, when I was, I was in New York, when I started my store, so I told my sister-in-law, my husband's family is very intellectual, but they were like my number one cheerleaders from the beginning. They were so supportive and just like behind me a hundred percent. They made me feel like the most successful person in the world. They were amazing about it. But my sister-in-law's mom, I was talking to her about it and she was, you know, kind of confused about it. She had not, you know, had never used Etsy and had no idea like what a digital invitation was. And but she told me, she goes, you know what? I'm sure you're gonna do great because you're very smart. And that reframe really, really shifted things for me because for the first time I didn't see being smart as like a hindrance to this, right? I saw it as something that was just always gonna help no matter what I did. And it really helped me think about Etsy in a way that I probably wouldn't have otherwise, right? Where it allowed me to really think about it like as a business and something that I could approach intelligently. Right. Like, you, know, you know that it's all about like owning your data. You know that it's all about figuring out SEO. You know that it's all about thinking like a buyer. So the more you can think about that intelligently, the better off you'll be, you know? Yeah, totally. And I also think that that is something, especially people that come at this from a like a crafting background, they're making it as a hobby and then trying to turn it into a business. Making that mental shift is a big one to say, it's not just about what I like to make anymore or what I have fun making, but it is about really looking at those numbers and looking at the business and seeing what makes sense from a business perspective. Oh, that's such a big one. I never really thought about that kind of shift, but you're so right. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think makes your shop stand out on Etsy? There are obviously a lot of digital downloads and printables that are available. But for those of you that aren't familiar with Gabby, her shop has almost 20,000 sales. So she has definitely been able to stand out even though there are lots of people doing you know, something that I guess you could say is your competition or a comparable product. There's a super oversaturated niche. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> saturated. 
so first of all, timing, right? Because I started in 2015 and there just were not that many people doing it back then. But there was still a ton of competition, right? I could have easily told myself that I wasn't going to do this because a lot of people were already doing it at the time. But what I really think that like sets me apart and I try to get people to always think this way is even within an oversaturated niche, there are niches that are untapped, right? And the thing about Etsy is that people look it's kind of like when you're dancing, you know, I remember I used to be in dance class and I would always look at the person next to me to see what they were doing. Right. And then I never enjoyed myself. I never stood out. I was always like half a beat behind, right. <laughs> I was always like following the person next to me who was on time. And I just never trusted myself and got there. Right. That's just the way that I was. And I feel like a lot of people on Etsy are like that. They look to see, well, what's trending on Etsy right now, which is great. But the thing is that like by the time that something that a trend hits Etsy, it spreads like wildfire, you know. Um, and then suddenly everybody's doing the same thing and everybody is doing, you know, unicorns or whatever. And there's no way to stand out. So I think one of the things was that I tried to be really creative from the get-go, right? And I still try to do that. I try to look at what is trending outside of Etsy and incorporate that into my designs. So now, you know, I do invitations. So I follow a lot of florists. I follow a lot of, you know, wedding gown designers. I follow a lot of, even though I'm not specifically in, in the wedding industry, I find that it trickles down into bridal showers and event planning, right? And I follow a lot of party planners and high-end party planners because what they're doing is what dictates the trend, right? So if they're doing XYZ, a year later, people are seeing that on Kara's party ideas, getting that idea, they're seeing it on Pinterest, it becomes really popular, right? Hey guys, I just want to jump on here really quick and tell you that I have a brand new checklist that is just out all about SEO. If SEO is something that you are struggling with, like so many Etsy sellers, hop on over to laurenkeplinger.com forward slash checklist and download that brand new Etsy SEO checklist. All right, back to the episode. So that's what I try to do. And I feel like that's been the most helpful thing for me is my best selling invitations by far are the ones that caught a trend before it took off. So for yeah. example, I always give this example because I was living in New York in like 2016 and I noticed that like people were liking unicorns, right? Like grown-ups, grown-up people. <laughs> and, and I was like, this is really interesting. I think it was like, you know, part like the political climate and people were just stressed and there was like this desire to go back to like magic and whatever. And then also like the element of individuality, like unicorns are one of a kind and so am I. And so I noticed that it was like a trend that was catching on. And I always liked like, you know, girly stuff and whatever. And I made a unicorn invitation. And I was like, this is kind of silly, but okay. And then I made it in a specific color scheme. Someone messaged me, said, will you change it to this? I changed it to that. It listed that one as well, which I always tell people, listen to what your customers are asking you, right? When the first customer asks you, just do it and list it because that means that people are looking for it. Anyway, I listed that invitation like back in 2016 and it sat there for like a couple months and then suddenly it sold like dozens a day because unicorn parties caught on and right. they took off <laughs> yeah, and nobody else had made them. So there was like a solid, you know, five months where I was selling that invitation, like dozens and dozens of them a day. And, wow. and then eventually, of course, like 
you know, it stopped selling because then there was tons of competition and everybody had a unicorn invitation and people had unicorn scientist invitations and, <laughs> and, and nobody wanted my like generic unicorn invitation anymore. But I always try to do that, right? I've had a lot of designs like that where they kind of catch on before the trend really gets big on Etsy. And I find that that has been the most successful factor. Yeah. I love so many of the points that you made there. And I want people listening to to hear the last part of what you said, where you said, and then nobody wanted my generic unicorn anymore. But that wasn't the end of the story for you. You're not sitting there saying, and then my shop sales just completely died because nobody wanted that one anymore. (laughs) You move on to the next thing that's popular and to stay ahead of those trends rather than saying like, well, this one used to sell so well, why is it not selling anymore? And freaking out about the decline in sales for that one product that maybe has kind of passed its prime. Exactly. And I always laugh because people are so quick to blame Etsy for these kinds of things. And so I always give that example for exactly what you're saying, right? Like suddenly you might find that what you're selling isn't selling anymore. And then people are saying, you know, well, Etsy is not promoting me anymore. I mean, do you think that Etsy looked and said... I think Gabby has sold way too many of these unicorn invitations and she doesn't deserve this. Let's bump her down in results. No, they said, well, people are buying this one and people are buying that one. There was so much competition. It definitely wasn't, you know, Etsy probably bumped me down, but like by just because of the algorithm, right? People weren't clicking on it. People were clicking on other things. You can't take that personally. You just have to take it as a lesson and say, great, that was great. I capitalized on that trend. Now moving on. I have yet to find another unicorn, to be honest with you. But what I've done is I've taken that approach and I've spread it out to like a couple of different trending designs, right? And I do notice that there are some that I sell over and over and over again for a couple of months. The trend really takes off and then, you know, and then it'll die off and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, right? More competition enters the market. You just need to keep doing that, but you need to be resilient. Right, exactly. I had a similar experience when I was very um, early on in my shop. It's probably a precursor to the unicorn trend, but... (laughs) this rainbow chevron fabric. So this was like in 2012, 2013 era and chevron was like everywhere. Yes. And almost everything in my shop was this rainbow chevron fabric. And then all of a sudden I started noticing people aren't buying this rainbow chevron anymore as much. Like it I mean it was selling out like crazy. And I was having trouble keeping the fabric even stocked in my shop and I had a panic Because it was like, what am I going to do if people don't buy this rainbow chevron anymore? And then there was like the realization of, you know, I mean, that's always true with trends. That's what makes them trends is that they shoot up in popularity and then they die. And you just have to figure out what the next thing is or where that's headed. Like it kind of shifted into these more muted colors and stuff after the rainbow chevron. And to be able to stay with that and keep the same sort of basic product, but shift it to that next trend where people are looking for that specific thing. Yes, exactly. And Etsy's so trend-driven. And I try to look at for inspiration everywhere, right? 
because probably same with you. You have to look at like what people are planning for nurseries, right? Because a lot of that time that dictates how people want to dress their child to their baby and what they're going to be using for newborn photos, right? They want it to all kind of coordinate. They have a theme in mind. You have to look at what's trending for baby showers probably in order to figure out what's going to be trending for baby clothes. There's so much that you can gather from just looking at all different trends, fashion, interior design, whatever it is, parties, that'll really give you an indication of how your buyer is thinking and what trends they're inclined towards. Yeah. And I think you make a really good point too, in saying that in looking at maybe like the high end designers, or it's kind of the same thing as like fashion, when you look at runway fashion and um, our high end party planners who are doing like stuff for celebrities, it's going to take a while to trickle down into like normal people. <laughs> yeah, if you look at that, you're like, who would wear that? And then suddenly, like a year later, you're like, oh, balloon sleeve sweater. <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh, it's in Target now. <laughs> but it takes a while. Like, it's not an immediate shift. So you do have this time between when you say, okay, you know, these are the colors that are trending, let's say in home decor or in wedding fashion or whatever, it takes a little bit before it trickles down. So you do have this time lapse that you can be prepared for that. You're not caught off guard. Right, exactly. And like, I know when the Pantone color of the year comes out, right? It always takes you by surprise a little bit. You're like, yeah, one color. And then by December, right? 10, 11 months after it's come out, it's everywhere. Right, exactly. It's like the one from last year is really yeah. popular. <laughs> so weird. I see that a lot. I've been paying attention lately with home decor stuff because they're saying that this is kind of a tangent, but they're saying that the like earthy tones are coming back in instead of these sort of like washed out gray and blue, like the fixer upper kind of like monochromatic light colors. And I'm like, really? Because everybody I know is still building like white houses. Everything's white. Right. Oh, that is so bad for me. <laughs> but if you were just entering the market right now, you know, okay, maybe you try and do some stuff that's trendy right now, but looking forward into those trends that are coming that they say are coming, and you're like, well, I haven't seen it here in my town of, you know, 50,000 people, but it will get here eventually. <laughs> exactly. So you have been doing this now since 2015. And so in the grand scheme of things, that's really not that long. (laughs) And are there things that you look back on and you say, I wish I would have known this right when I started? Or what would have made this sort of an easier journey for you if you were just starting now in 2020? I'll say one of the things that I'm the happiest that I knew when I started, and I feel like this changed my entire trajectory, right? I don't think I would be doing this today if my business hadn't started in this way. I had um, someone who had been my wedding planner. And when I met her, she had an Etsy store. And I kind of made the same assumption that everybody makes about Etsy stores, right? That this was like a fun hobby for her and, and whatever. And then when the time came to start my Etsy store, I talked to somebody who had just caught up with her and to talk about a wedding. And she said, I'm not wedding planning anymore. My Etsy store really took off. I'm making six figures in my Etsy store. And I quit wedding planning. And so that to me was really like an aha moment, right? Because I had never known that that was a possibility. And that's why I feel so like obligated to talk about 
success and the income that you can make from Etsy, because I feel like just enough people don't know about this, right? And the more that you can surround yourself by like Etsy success stories and people that are actually making a successful living on Etsy or doing any other kind of business, right? The better off you'll be because then you get caught in this like ceiling where you're like, this is never going to be more than a hobby. This is never going to be more than a hobby. And then what happens is that it's never more than a hobby, right? Right. Yeah. That's really interesting that she was so open about that because that is something that I've struggled with a lot along the way. Not so much on the internet. It's a little more like a little easier, I guess, to talk about it on the internet. But in my like real life with people I actually know, I mean, I would say I can remember vividly an experience where, and this is a friend of mine, like she didn't mean any, you know, anything by it. But I said something about my Etsy shop and she said, it's really nice that you have something to keep you busy while the kids are at school. And this was, like I said, a recent thing. So I'm like, (laughs) I've made over half a million dollars in my Etsy store. (laughs) Like, this is not like this cute little thing that like keeps me kind of busy while my kids are at preschool. This is like an actual legitimate income source. But I didn't have the guts, I guess, to I just was like, Oh, yeah, it's nice. I'm busy. I know. I struggled with that at first so much too. And And it's crazy. People are so dismissive still. I mean, it's changing a lot. And like the crafting industry is really taking off and being way more appreciated. Like there's that show Making It on NBC, um, which is actually like also sponsored by Etsy, right? Which has a Bowler and Nick Offerman hosting it. So it's really getting like mainstream and getting a lot of recognition as like a really valid, not just income source, but way to make a living. But when I was growing up, it was totally different. You know, if you did crafting, it was a very cute hobby, but it was clear that you're never going to make an income from it, right? And it was before you had the internet because you had to sell, you know, you had to rely on selling to your daughter's classmates, right? I remember my mom used to make bows and stuff and, and she was great at it, but it was hard because it was like, even if you sold to a friend of a friend, you had to go drive to her house to drop them. Right, exactly. She had to pick them up from you. Someone had to come to your house and get them. I remember she would do like flower crowns for weddings and stuff. And, and it was just hard to make a legitimate business out of it, right? Because you had to farm in your friend circle and your family circle. And, and then it, you know how that is because it's like, are you going to charge them? What are you going to charge right. them? There's so many complicated emotions that go into that. So, so yeah, it's definitely changed a lot with the internet and especially with Etsy. Now it's just so easy to set up a shop. People complain about Etsy a lot, but I find that there's not, it's like business light, you know, it makes it so easy for you. Yeah. I think that, I mean, the barriers to entry are just so low with Etsy And I wouldn't say it's like easy to be successful on Etsy, but I definitely think that it's simple to get started. And I mean, I jokingly say, but I'm not really joking, like what a time to be alive. (laughs) Even like 20 years ago, having an online business was not even on people's radar as a possibility. And even when I started, I started on Etsy in um, 2012. And there really wasn't a lot, you know, there weren't really Facebook groups about Etsy or, I mean, Instagram didn't exist, or at least it wasn't on my radar. <laughs> you know, there weren't podcasts, like there wasn't this support system and the ability to learn from people who've gone before you in the way that there is now, which I think is so unique. I think that 
when I look back on getting started and it feels like it was like the dark ages eight years ago. (laughs) (laughs) I felt like I was like a lone wolf, like trying to make this thing happen. People had never really even heard of Etsy. I was living in a small town because we're always living in small towns. And so, you know, I can remember making some bibs for a friend of mine who just had a baby and bringing them to her. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to um, sell these on Etsy. And she was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. And people ask me, they say, how did you start selling on Etsy? Did you take a course? Like it was 2015. Do you think I took a course? Courses didn't exist back then, you know? I know it, it changes so rapidly. Yeah, yeah, it changes. Right, exactly. No, but right in 2015, there was just not that kind of you know, you're talking about 2012. And even by 2015, there was just not that kind of, you know, it was like going into the Etsy forums, reading the Etsy handbook. I was talking to my friend that was the wedding planner. And we were talking about Etsy. And, and she was like, I remember it. I printed out the handbook and I would just read it, you know, like in the bathroom, whatever, take it with me, read it. Because that's how it was. That, that's all that you had, right? Was that information you had to be a little bit scrappy and figure it out for yourself. Absolutely. And people say like, well, it was so much easier for you because you got started back in 2012 and there wasn't as much competition. And I'm like, okay, well, yeah, there wasn't as much competition. Like, I'll give you that. But there also, there weren't as many buyers on the platform. There wasn't as much awareness of the anything about it. And there was definitely nobody telling me how to, you know, write up my SEO so that I can get found in the search and things like that. (laughs) So talking about SEO, that's like another huge thing, right? Because nobody was telling us really how to do this. It was just like relevant keywords. So I had had some background. I love, love, love online selling. And I've been selling on marketplaces since I was like 11 years old, right? I started out like buying Beanie Babies on eBay. And then I would read them when I got bored of them. And my mom somehow let me start like a PayPal account in her name, which I don't know why. I have to interrupt you just for a second to tell you that I also started online doing the exact same thing. (laughs) So funny. I was buying, I would like stand in line for the just released Beanie Babies. And then I would basically flip them and sell them on the Beanie Baby forums. (laughs) That's hilarious. Okay, so I would sell them on eBay. And then I started selling like clothes. I would sell my used books on Amazon back when Amazon was only for books. Yeah. So that's how long ago this was, you know? So it's always something that I liked, which is... That's probably an advantage, right? Because you kind of had an idea of SEO from selling online beforehand. Because I kind of did. It was so different. But I found that when I started at, like listing my Etsy listings, I was still thinking like a lawyer, right? Because I had spent so many years like searching LexisNexis and whatever for cases. And you had to like pour through like tons and tons of research and find what you needed. And you really needed like super specific keywords, right? So... So I found that when I started my Etsy store, if I had like a pink floral invitation with like a black and white striped background, which everybody at that time did, that was like exactly what I would write. Like black and white striped invitation with pink flowers and gold frame, you know, <laughs> how lawyers were searching. So, so I don't even know how I got found at the beginning, but I didn't get found that much. And it wasn't until I really started thinking like a buyer and I just had this like aha moment, maybe a year into it. And I realized, I don't think people are actually searching like this, right? I started thinking like, no, probably they search more for 
different things, right? But a lot broader than that. So I changed my SEO and I just kind of used common sense. I didn't really follow like any kind of guidelines or anything. And my sales tripled, you know, because I wasn't getting found before. It was just way too specific. So it's kind of like a mix. You have to find what works for you, right? And you have to think like a buyer is the main thing. Yeah, absolutely. I also was sort of the same in starting out. Like I would list the brand name of the fabric that I was using. And so I'm like, nobody cares about that. <laughs> They're looking for like colors and patterns and whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Gabby, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you tell the listeners where they can find you on your website and um, on any kind of social media? Of course, I have my store, Casa Confetti Design Studio on Etsy. And then the website is also casaconfettishop.com. And I have my Instagram at Casa Confetti Shop. And I have another personal one that you can also follow, Gabby.Abrams. So I'm easy to get in touch with and always happy to have questions and help other people. So, All right. That sounds great. Thank you so much for being here today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Lauren. It was awesome. 